Good morning and welcome to the Court of Appeals. Um, I'm Chief Judge Donna Stroud and our, on the panel this morning we also have uh, Judge Chris Dillon who is down here on the floor to my right. Uh, just so everyone will know, we have not demoted Judge Dillon, uh, <laughs> but uh, he had some ankle surgery that he's recovering from and so it's a little bit complicated for him to get up here. So. Uh, he's just going to be sitting down there. I thought it's going to be a little weird for the attorneys. I was just thinking today, but to have you know the judge like sitting down there right in front of you, so it'll be a new adventure for you. Um, and uh, and Judge uh, Valerie Zachary uh, to my left. And we have one case for argument today. Looks like everyone is ready to go. And uh, have you already set up the time for rebuttal? Yes, Your Honor. Okay, it's five minutes. Was that what you did? Yes. Okay. Sir. All right. Very good. May I proceed? Yes. Good morning, and may it please the court, Mark Fleming on behalf of the plaintiff appellants. And with the court's permission, I reserve five minutes. This is an appeal from a grant of summary judgment, and it's an unusual setting for summary judgment because the county, as the movement, provided essentially no evidence in support of its motion as the Superior Court recognized. By contrast, we provided hundreds of pages of declarations and deposition transcripts in opposition, which the county did not challenge and did not controvert. Those materials, which must be indulgently regarded at this stage, amply permit a finding in our favor. Nonetheless, the Superior Court granted summary judgment, and in doing so, it committed three errors, any one of which requires a remand for a new trial. The first error, and probably the simplest ground for remand, rests on the principle that one Superior Court judge can't overrule a legal ruling by another, but that's exactly what happened here. The summary judgment ruling by Judge Forrest Bridges, and I apologize for using the judge's first names, but it's necessary because they have the same last name. I, my understanding is they're not related, but they're both Judge Bridges. Uh, judge Forrest Bridges, at summary judgment, concluded that the monument's law prevented us from stating a valid constitutional cause of action. That improperly overruled a prior ruling by Judge Kevin Bridges, who previously held that we did state a constitutional claim, notwithstanding the county's reliance on the monument's law. The second error is that even if Judge Forrest Bridges could have considered the effect of the Monuments Law afresh, it's a red herring. The statute cannot stand in the way of trial on our constitutional claims because the Constitution, I don't need to tell this court, is the supreme law of the state. A statute certainly cannot prevent a court from crafting an appropriate remedy for a constitutional violation once proven. Excuse me, do you concede that section 100-2.1 standing alone prohibits removal of the Confederate monument? No, we do not concede that at all, and I'm glad Your Honor asked me that because I think there's a lot of confusion uh, created by the county in its briefing. As the court understands, um, there are two ways that a statute's constitutionality can come into play. One is a facial challenge and one is an as-applied challenge. A facial challenge requires the challenger to show that the statute can't be constitutionally applied in any circumstance. Um, that is not our contention, never has been. Of course, this statute can apply in other circumstances, consider a World War II memorial or a plaque in a cemetery or at a museum. Um, that does not mean, however, that we concede the constitutionality of its application here or even that it applies on its terms. And just so... Well, so... Well, we do have arguments as to which we presented evidence and there's a factual dispute that the monument's law, even on its terms, doesn't apply. But our baseline position is even if it did, it wouldn't matter because if we can prove a, a constitutional violation, then the court has the power to craft a remedy notwithstanding the statute. But we do believe that the monument's law on its own terms would not apply, and I'm happy to go into the reasons why. But ultimately, we think it's a red herring because we have shown several tribal disputes of fact on our constitutional claims and the statute can't stand in the way of that. So I would say we have two fronts of argument. One is that the monument's law on its own terms does not apply and the other is that even if it did, it would not prevent the court from crafting a remedy for a constitutional violation because the constitution is the supreme law of the state.
is the open courts challenge, there is the misuse of taxpayer money, and there is a claim under the Equal Protection Clause for uh, racial discrimination. And the racial discrimination claim triggers the highly fact-bound inquiry under the decision of uh, Arlington Heights versus Metropolitan Development, uh, Housing Development Authority uh, from the Supreme Court of the United States. And there are several factual inquiries under that test. One is you look at the history of the decision, and in this case, the history of the monument itself, going back to its dedication ceremony in 1914 and the location where it was uh, dedicated and installed. You also look at the harm that it inflicts on uh, black citizens who are the plaintiffs here. And then you also look at whether there were unusual procedures that were followed procedurally or substantively in the making of the decision. And that evidence is relevant to proof of a discriminatory purpose. And again, we are the only parties who put in any relevant evidence on that. The county may well disagree. They're entitled to cross-examine our witnesses. They're entitled to make their case a trial. But all of those facts coalesce together. So is it the decision to put the monument up in 1914, or is it the decision of the county commission not to take it down? It is the decision to protect and maintain the monument now, but the history of the monument bears on the uh, discriminatory purpose that we are entitled to prove. But do we reach that, that question at all if the statute is constitutional and Alamance County doesn't have the authority to do anything anyway? If they don't have any authority to do anything anyway, what difference does it make what their motive was for not moving it? They don't have the authority. So don't we have to reach whether or not the statute itself is constitutional first? No, I don't think so, Your Honor. I think because if we prove a, that the, the maintenance of the statute here is a unconstitutional act because it discriminates on the basis of race, then the court, as the Superior Court in the first instance, subject to review by this court and, if necessary, the Supreme Court, can craft a remedy. And the monument, nothing in what the monument's law says or doesn't say prevents the court from crafting a remedy which the county can then comply with. And it has to be that way. Otherwise, there would be no way to, um, to challenge unconstitutional action by a local government. It has to be possible for the court to craft a remedy that the county would then obey. And there's no suggestion that the, court, uh, the county would not obey a remedy by the court. We're not, uh, this isn't a case where we're trying to accuse uh, someone of a constitutional violation in the past or try to recover damages under Section 1983 of the, the Federal Civil Rights Act or anything like that. This is simply an action saying, asking for a declaration that the maintenance of this monument today in this location with this history is a violation now, and that violation should stop. And n I know of no authority, certainly the county has never cited any authority, that a county can perpetuate a violation of the Constitution by invocation of a statute. If that were the case, then this court's role and the Superior Court's role in enforcing the Constitution Well, the county is a creature of the General Assembly in sort of cities. They're all, they're all subordinate. So the, the, the General Assembly has said, as I understand it in that statute, county, you cannot move that statute. So they don't have the authority to move it unless the statute, the, the, the North Carolina General Statute's unconstitutional. They don't have the authority to do anything, as I understand the way county and city, they're, they're subject to the General Assembly. Well, they're, they're subject to statute. They're also subject to the Constitution. And, they're, and the, no, no governmental authority that I know of, and certainly no case that they've cited, suggests that a county can rely, or, or any governmental authority can rely on the presence of a statute in order to defend a constitutional violation. I mean, uh, take, take, for instance, the, um, uh, the ME versus TJ case. There, there was a statute that was being cited, uh, but this court held that it was unconstitutional as applied, and held that the plaintiff, the, the plaintiff there was entitled to a uh, domestic violence protection order, notwithstanding the fact that the statute on its face didn't permit one. Uh, same thing in Simeon versus Hardin. Mr. Simeon brought a, a claim under the open courts clause that the application of a particular statute that allowed the district attorney to calendar certain criminal proceedings uh, on the, the, the beginning of a, a criminal session that that was being unconstitutionally applied. There was a statute that allowed the district attorney to do it, but this court held that it was being, un or that at least a, a cause of action had been stated that it was unconstitutional as applied. And I would like to just be very clear because I suspect the court is gonna be hearing a lot about this um, when, when uh, uh, my brother presents his argument. There is no concession that this statute is constitutional. We did not make a facial challenge, but we most certainly did make and retain an as-applied challenge. It is a conditional one or a contingent one. It only comes into play if the Superior Court concludes that the Monuments Law applies in this case. 
We don't think it does. We've, we've put in evidence supporting uh, that would allow a reasonable trier of fact to conclude that it doesn't. Tell me why, tell me why, it, it does. Tell me why the monument law doesn't apply at all. Well, first, first and foremost, by its terms, or I mean, the, the first nothing to do with the Constitution. Just, just the words of the statute. Why doesn't that statute? Why wasn't the intent of the General Assembly in passing that statute was to, to make it to apply to something like this memorial? All right. Well, e even if it did, that can't defend a constitutional. Violation. I understand that. I'm just. I, I want to just get past this. By question. its by its words, it talks about it protects only um, m memorials or, or objects of remembrance. And those are defined as protecting, uh, as commemorating an event or a person or military service. Uh, we have presented sufficient evidence from which a reasonable trier of fact could conclude that this particular monument, not all Confederate memorials, certainly not all monuments, but this particular one in Alamance County, situated as it is on the place where Mr. Wyatt Outlaw was lynched in 1870, dedicated in 1914. Uh, by someone who praised the monument as standing as a memory to the great achievements of our own race and blood, dedicated by Mr. Henry London, who was on record as wanting to purge North Carolina of the ignorant Negro vote. That, and the history doesn't end in 1914. Those speeches were reread in 1954 for a new generation. If you look at the declaration of Dr. Cox, who's a professor of uh, history at uh, the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, we have laid out plenty of evidence that this particular monument commemorates white supremacy. And there is nothing in the monuments law that suggests that the General Assembly wanted to protect monuments to white supremacy. This is an argument specific to this one monument. Um, the county has tried to suggest that we're trying to tear down all Confederate mo memorials all over the state. That's not true, it's never been true. This is a specific claim as to this specific monument with this specific history based on the specific evidence that we put into the summary judgment record that was not controverted and not opposed. That is at least a sufficient basis for a trier of fact to conclude that the monument law does not apply in this circumstance and to conclude that we have proven a constitutional violation, which ultimately we think is all we need to do in order to earn the remedies that we seek, which are on the one hand, a declaratory judgment of unconstitutionality. There's nothing in the Monuments Law that prevents the Superior Court from declaring a violation of the Constitution. The only argument they're raising, and I think it's as clearest on page 28 of their brief, is that they think it prohibits the remedy of moving the statue. That may or may not be the case. We don't think it's the case. We think that's a tribal issue. But at the very least, we'd be entitled to a declaration of unconstitutionality. So we think there's grounds enough for it to go back for a trial on but our claim on that just, basis. So, I mean, so assuming the statute is constitutional, you're saying that there is an argument that the statute doesn't apply, or at least there's an issue of fact, because of the affidavit she put forward saying that this was not erected as a, as a remembrance or something of... Absolutely, Your okay. Yes, that is part of our argument. It doesn't exhaust the I, entire I understand argument. that. No, no, I, and, and I, I just that. want to be very clear because, again, I think there's an attempt to confuse... Because that's something I'll ask them. Yeah, there's, there's an attempt to confuse why a little bit. Not a, why is there not at least an issue of fact? Because if we, if we get past that, that then Alamance County under the statute would have the authority to do something, I guess. Yes, no, I, I think that's right. And we think would, would be compelled to do something mm -hmm. in order to remedy the constitutional violation. I mean, we think that's the case whether or not the monuments law applies because the constitution has to trump the, uh, the statute. It's the supreme law of North Carolina. There's no, we don't think there's any question about that, which is why I say that the monuments law is in many ways a red herring here. Because if we can prove the constitutional violation, then the question is simply what remedy uh, does the Superior Court craft? That is something the Superior Court hasn't considered. It's, uh, it's something for the first instance for trial, and then it can be subsequently reviewed if need be. Um, the other argument is assuming that the statute does apply, that having a civil war memorial in front of a courthouse is unconstitutional. It, we, do, we do not frame it that broadly at all, Judge Dillon, by no means. Uh, it, there may well be other circumstances in which having an actual memorial to the Civil War that does not have this history, that was not dedicated uh, as, a, as, a, as a white supremacist uh, memorial, that it might be very different. And we're not trying, we are not here to ask this court, and we did not ask the Superior Court, to reach a broad ruling with respect to any other memorial in any other place with any other history. These inquiries are necessarily very fact-bound, and the Supreme Court of the United States made that clear in Arlington Heights. The county itself, by citing the, uh, the Bladensburg Cross case on page, I believe it's 31 of their brief, um, you know, they, they block quote a section that makes very clear that the history of the particular challenged act is very important in determining whether it was placed and is being maintained with a discriminatory purpose. 
That is a fact-bound question. And as this court said in the Gregorino case, summary judgment is particularly inappropriate when issues of motive and purpose are, are, are at play. And here, once again, we are the only ones who put in any evidence of all of this. Uh, there is nothing in the record on the other side. They can make their case at trial if they wish. They'll be able to cross-examine our witnesses. They can put on witnesses of their own. If they, if they you know, deem it appropriate and they feel they can prove that this particular monument um, is not a monument to white supremacy or not at least that wasn't at least a motivating factor, but instead is something else. Other counties, other local governments might be able to make a stronger case as to other memorials in other places. Um, I think if we were talking about a plaque in a, in a, uh, a cemetery dedicated to the, the, the Civil War dead, this would be a very different case. Uh, but that's not the case we're talking about. We're talking about a case with a very particular record where we put in voluminous evidence. So this is definitely, because there's another memorial in front of the, one of the Alamance County Courthouse, the criminal one that is to a bunch of wars, including the Civil War. It lists a bunch of Civil War dead, but it lists World War One and World War Two, and it's just generally for people that fought for their country. So you would say that's a little bit different because that was just a memorial that was for, for all the wars, I guess. I, I'm, I'm certainly not here to challenge that. We haven't brought a claim against that one. I don't, I don't know the details of that. Uh, okay, but that's okay. not what this case is about. And I think this court certainly does not need to engage with that in order to uh, write a very short uh, and, and simple opinion that says there are issues of fact with respect to this particular and only this particular monument. They've been established on this record. They have to be indulgently regarded under the Marcus Brothers decision. Um, there's certainly an issue of tribal fact. There are several of them. So go back and have a trial. And then we will see what the trier of fact thinks of it. And then if there's further review under the appropriate standard, we can talk about the merits. Um, but I don't think that this court certainly doesn't need to opine on uh, the possibility of challenges to other memorials in other places. None of them has been raised. There's no evidence. There's no briefing about any of them. Oh, oh, excuse me. Why isn't the monument governmental speech, um, as in the Bladensburg Cross case? Uh, well, so we haven't challenged it as uh, under the First Amendment. There is no, there's no sort of, we haven't challenged how the county is speaking about the monument. They're entitled to, to speak as they wish. Um, we uh, challenge it as an act of racial discrimination. Now, speech can be evidence of a discriminatory purpose, as the Fifth Circuit um, noted in the, um, uh, the, the NAACP case that we cite, um, but we're not challenging it in the sense that we're trying to get the, the county to say something different about the monument. The, this is um, simply a challenge to the act of keeping the monument and protecting it in place um, those are acts, those aren't speech. I mean, expending county funds to put a, a wrought iron fence around the uh, monument is not speech. Um, the, the act of making um, black citizens fear when they're around the uh, public square, uh, feel that they're not going to get fair and equal treatment in the courthouse when they go there to do business or to be involved in a case, none of that is speech. Um, if we were solely saying that there's some message out there that we disagree with, that might be uh, a valid response but I don't know of any um, uh, doctrine that says uh, that you can't challenge, not on free speech grounds, not on First Amendment grounds, but on equal protection grounds, or on misuse of taxpayer funds grounds, or on open courts grounds, the act of maintaining um, a, 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 a statue that has the pernicious effects that we've shown, and that again have not been rebutted or controverted at the summary judgment stage. I would like to say, if I may, a word about immunity, uh, because I suspect that uh, your honors are going to hear a little bit about it. Um, the county has abandoned the argument that it pressed in front of the Superior Court, which rested on governmental immunity, and, and rightly so, because it's well settled governmental immunity doesn't bar constitutional claims against a county. They actually admit on page 26 of their brief that the claims against the county are proper. I think they're now trying to argue that the county somehow benefits from legislative immunity as though the county were an individual legislator who was being sued in his individual capacity. This argument is novel. Uh, I, I find it somewhat baffling. I don't know of any authority. They certainly don't cite any. Um, suggesting that a county has legislative immunity in a case that seeks equitable relief to stop an ongoing constitutional violation. And, and I think it has to be that a county can be sued in this circumstance. Otherwise, the argument would broadly prevent any challenge to unconstitutional conduct by local governments, and that's not the law. They cite no case suggesting it should be. On the contrary, all the cases they cite support us. They cite Moore versus City of Creedmoor, and in that case, the Supreme Court 
uh, expressly found that the city as a municipality can be sued for a constitutional violation. It also found, although it doesn't matter here, that individual officials could be sued in their official capacities. But we, we no longer are pursuing that uh, claim against the individual uh, county commissioners because we can get full relief against the county. Um, similarly, in Quorum versus North Carolina, uh, University of North Carolina, the Supreme Court understood how important it is that judge-made doctrines like immunity don't stand as a barrier to North Carolina citizens who seek to remedy violations of constitutional rights. So I, I don't see any basis for any finding of immunity here, and I think it would be a highly dangerous and evulsive decision. Talk uh, briefly about um, assuming, uh, assuming that Alamance County does have the authority to remove it because the statute doesn't apply, or at least there's an issue of fact. You know, I guess there's things erected that were erected for improper or bad purposes in the past, but sometimes governments just choose it's, it's, a, it's a history marker, maybe it was a slave market or something like that, and we just want to leave it there as a reminder because if you don't pay it, if you, don't, if you erase the past, then you're condemned to repeat it or whatever, I don't know. But I mean, so tell me why Alamance County otherwise, how, how they violated the Constitution by making the decision, let's just, we're going to leave that there thing there. Why isn't that a policy decision that they're not allowed to make? So, so I think, Judge Gillen, this implicates the merits of our, of our anti-discrimination challenge. And the anti-discrimination challenge arises under the Arlington Heights factors, which um, you know, the, 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 the courts of North Carolina have applied many times. And they are a multifactual um, set of inquiries. And as I outlined earlier, you have to look at the, the history of it and the intent with which it, it has is installed. It has a bad history. Then, There's a lot of things that have a bad history. They just yeah. said, but we need to keep that up there so people remember we don't want to go back there or whatever. And that, it's just a policy decision that they make. I'm just so it's not just the history that's looked at. One also looks at the harm to black citizens and to the plaintiffs today. Now, it may be that the situations that Your Honor has in mind, there's no actual specific proof or evidence of harm. That's not this case. This case, we put in detailed, uncontroverted evidence, fact evidence, uh, declarations by our plaintiffs about the intimidation and the threats that they faced as a result of the fact that this uh, monument is a magnet for uh, white supremacist groups who protest and threaten people around the monument. Also evidence of Dr. Blackshear, who's a clinical psychologist at Duke, that, the, that having the monument outside a place of civic importance like a courthouse will activate conscious and unconscious bias by citizens who are doing their duty, whether as a juror or a court employee um, in the courthouse. None of that is controverted. A, a, a reasonable fact finder could certainly accept that in this particular context, there, is a, there are additional factors of harm in addition to the history of the monument that uh, uh, permit an inference of discriminatory purpose. Another is the uh, abnormal process that was followed in considering this issue when it came up recently in front of the county, including county commissioners threatening the, um, the uh, county manager who suggested moving it for reasons of public safety, threatening him that he should resign, uh, telling him he should stop working in that direction. He testified no one had ever said that to him before, asking for um, legal memoranda to be prepared in haste uh, by the county attorney, which was done very quickly with research that was subsequently shown to be false during his, his deposition. All of these are things that a reasonable fact finder could conclude lead to a finding of discriminatory purpose in this case that would not apply in some of the other hypotheticals that Your Honor is, is positing. It would all depend on what the record is that the plaintiff is able to amass and what controverting evidence the defendants were able to put forward. In this case, none, nothing at all. Uh, and so this is why this is I started by saying this is a highly unusual case for summary judgment uh, when the movement has nothing on the merits of the claims and the uh, non-movement has plenty of evidence that if taken as credible as it must be at this point. Um, and I apologize for always looking at Judge Dillon as he asked me the question, but I, I, I want to look at the, at the rest of the court. Um, that, that in, if, if, uh, because the non-movement's evidence must be taken as credible and the, defend, the, the defendant's evidence, had there been any, would have to be viewed with skepticism. There is certainly enough for a reasonable trier of fact to look at this and say, there is a possible discriminatory purpose here. Are we going to win a trial? I don't know. That's going to depend on cross-examination, and it's going to depend on the, the findings that the, the judge ultimately makes, which this court is going to be able to review under the ultimate, uh, under the, the normal standards for review of such a thing. Um, so, but we haven't had that opportunity yet. It seems, so at this point, basically, you're, the, the, you're this type of claim would be based upon 
evidence, someone bringing evidence that, uh, that with any particular monument of this sort, of, regarding anything, um, if, if someone, you're, you're coming up with evidence of like the intent and of people many, many years ago who are no longer around and also the sort of subjective feelings of people now about it based upon their knowledge of, or lack of knowledge of history. I mean, I, I, it's, it's, um, it, it would seem to me that like any, anything, I mean, there could be a group of who could challenge anything by finding something about its past and then someone who doesn't like it now um, I mean, the, the flag, okay? I mean, you know, there are people who are offended by the flag. And you can make lots of arguments about history and different things. I mean, I, I'm just sort of, this, I'm trying to figure out where the limits of that are. Uh, so I know some into my rebuttal. Yeah, yeah I'll, give you answer? Little, I'll give you, yeah. So um, this is not a case about being offended. This is not a case about being upset. This is a case about racial discrimination. If there were a challenge to the American flag, I assume it would be very easy for whoever the defendant is, the state, mm -hmm. the federal mm -hmm. government, the county, to put in evidence saying there is no possible way that a reasonable fact finder could find that this was racial discrimination to have the US flag flying outside a public building. Well, not necessarily and, racial discrimination. It could be some other constitutionally or you know, some other group, but you know. Well, I, I say racial only because yeah. that's the claim okay. we've brought. Um, and, and I don't know what other claim Your Honor has in mind, but I would imagine it would be a complete response, uh, that there would be plenty of evidence to show that the American flag uh, does not convey uh, a message of exclusion to people who belong to a protected class like the black citizens of Alamance County. And you know that's the way in which the 11th Circuit decided the challenge to the Confederate flag flying on the Alabama State Capitol, is it said, the, uh, the plaintiff in that case had shown no specific factual proof of an equal protection violation. That's not the case here. We have plenty of specific factual proof not controverted. And that's not gonna be the case in any of the hypothetical situations that you're talking about. If someone brings a challenge to the American flag, it's gonna be, I think, you know, certainly easier for the defendant to bring a summary judgment motion. What we have here, though, is a summary judgment motion with no evidence and plenty of evidence of this particular uh, monument being uh, not only erected in 1914, but maintained to this day with a discriminatory purpose. Now, if we can't prove that case at trial, then, then so be it. But we have the right to at least have that opportunity. I don't think that will come up if someone is challenging, say, a plaque that was placed in a cemetery uh, commemorating the Confederate war dead that was placed right after the Civil War. There are plenty of those. Um, and I don't think there, I, I don't know of much evidence that those were placed in order to venerate white supremacy. There is plenty of evidence, however, that that is why this monument was placed in this location on the prominent site, uh, very close to where a prominent black citizen was lynched and dedicated by someone who was indicted for that lynching and also by someone who was a, an avowed and committed and proud white supremacist. Um, and that history is known. It was raised to the Board of Commissioners in 2020 and throughout. And we believe that is ample for an ample basis for a fact finder to find a discriminatory purpose. At the very least, we're entitled to prove that case. Okay. And I'll give you an extra three minutes since I ate that up with my last minute question. Thank you, Your Honor. I appreciate it. Good morning, Your Honors. <clears throat> May it please the Court. <clears throat> this case is not about whether you like or dislike Confederate monuments. It is about the rule of law and whether we are going to, as a court and as a society, honor the rule of law, even when that law may not be popular with some. It is a law that the plaintiffs admit is constitutional on its face. Now, the plaintiffs want the Alamance County Monument removed, but the law does not allow removal. The Protection of Monuments Act, Section 100-2.1 of the General Statutes, prevents a local government from permanently removing a historical monument, such as the one in this case, that is on public property. 
so it allows for the removal in certain situations that are not present here. And it allows the removal of a monument to a place of similar prominence. The law provides for only three exceptions that allow for permanent removal. And the plaintiffs say that only one exception applies here. When a building inspector or similar official has determined that <clears throat> it poses a threat to public safety because of an unsafe or dangerous con condition, no such official has made such a determination here, and the exception therefore does not apply. Because the law is clear and is not unconstitutional, the trial court granted summary judgment and the court should affirm that ruling. What about his point that there's issues of fact whether or not the statute even applies because this isn't a, a, and I don't have a copy of the statute in front of me, I wish I did, but it's not a, a remembrance thing or whatever. Well, there are no issues of fact, Your Honor, because the law controls. The county's hands are tied. The monument law controls because the monument says that a county may not remove a monument that commemorates, and I'll quote from the, the statute, the county may not remove a monument that is an object of remembrance, which means a monument, memorial, plaque, statute, marker, or display of a permanent character that commemorates an event, a person, or military service that is part of North Carolina's history. So there are no issues of fact since the monument law applies. The law controls. <clears throat> Facts may not supersede the law. So the plaintiffs claim that the law is unconstitutional as applied. They claim that the legislature passed a constitutional law, but that Alamance County, which is following the law, is acting unconstitutionally by not removing the monument. Even if one thinks Confederate monuments should not be on public property, that argument is flawed. According to the plaintiffs, when it enacted the monument law in 2015, the legislature passed a constitutional law. When does the law say that a county, does this law say that a monument can't be moved or just that the county can't move it? Or county? Your Honor, the law says the monument may not, not be removed if it's on public property, and the plaintiffs are asking the county to move it. So the county has no authority to move a monument on public property, which this monument is on. It's undisputed that the, the monument is on public property. So local governments, as you pointed out earlier, are merely instrumentalities of the state. Cities and counties cannot go out on their own plan. They have to follow what the legislature says when the legislator, legislature speaks on an issue. Now, when it passed the law in 2015, the legislature knew that Confederate monuments stood in front of courthouses. It placed the monument law in Chapter 100 of the General Statutes, right near two other statutes that refer to Confederate monuments. One that allows counties to protect Confederate monuments in front of courthouses with iron fences, and another that lets counties pay to build them. The Alamance County Monument was erected 109 years ago, and the law was passed eight years ago. Nothing has changed in the intervening time periods except the opinions of some people that the monument does not belong there. That is a reasonable opinion, but it does not suddenly make the monument unconstitutional. The law provides or prevents the monument from being removed. It would be unlawful if the county defied the law and removed the monument. The county has no authority to do so because it, in this case, the monument law does not allow it. Is, is it your contention then that the plaintiff's recourse is to vote for new legislators? That is at the end of my argument, Your Honor, but yes, skipping ahead, uh, in the Guy v. Hunt case, uh, I'm sorry, in the, um, yes, in the NAACP versus Hunt case in 1990, the 11th Circuit said, in referring to the flying of the Confederate flag over the Alabama Capitol, that the remedy was for the citizens of Alabama to vote in people who would agree with them. And the remedy here is for people to change the law. So the county has no authority to defy the legislature. It cannot override it. Under our law, it must follow the legislative pronouncement here. The legislature in 2015 expressly took this issue away from local governments. What this case is really about is the plaintiff's desire to substitute their personal policy preferences, however reasonable, for a valid law enacted by the legislature and followed by the Alamance County Commissioners. Whether or not you like the law, if the plaintiffs get to say that this law does not apply, that is not adhering to the rule of law. One does not have to like Confederate monuments to realize that this argument is wrong. 
the opinions of some do not overcome a validly enacted law. This case must be analyzed first by looking at whether the monument law applies, and it clearly does. It says in subsection B, limitations on removal, that an object of remembrance located on public property may not be permanently removed. It can be permanently relocated, but only to a site of similar prominence, honor, visibility, availability, and access that is within the jurisdiction. The section defines objects of remembrance as, among other things, a monument that commemorates, as I said earlier, an event, a person, or a military service that is part of North Carolina's history. This monument clearly depicts military service that is part of North Carolina's history. Decisions of the North Carolina Supreme Court and the United States Supreme Court have referred to Confederate service as military service. Well, Your Honor, imagine if the county did remove the monument and put it in front of, an, put it in front of another government building. It has to be of a place of similar prominence within the jurisdiction. Uh, it appears that they do, Your Honor, but that question raises this issue. Would the plaintiffs be satisfied with that remedy? No. We'd be right back here with another lawsuit because they would say that Alamance County government is tainted by the presence of a Confederate monument. So therefore, some citizens cannot believe that they're getting fair treatment from their local government. The issue is, therefore, uh, no matter where the county puts it, uh, the plaintiffs will make the same argument. So it's really uh, irrelevant in some, in some way. But back to my argument that the, the, monument pres, pre, uh, the monument is an object of remembrance because it shows, commemorates uh, military service. Federal statutes define Confederate service as military service. This is an argument the plaintiffs made below, that Confederate military service was not military service. That has been flatly contradicted by the statutes and the case law that we have cited. The monument is also on public property. It cannot be moved unless one of the three exceptions in subsection C applies, and none does. The legislature <clears throat> foresaw these situations. It is enacted in law, a law, and the commissioners have followed it. It actually says if the monument could be moved, it would have to be moved to an, a similarly prominent place. Now, let me ask you, so how do you respond to the argument that there's an issue of fact that it's not depicting military service, it's actually specifically depicting white supremacy, according to the forecast of evidence. Your Honor, there is nothing on the monument's face that depicts or promotes white supremacy. Uh, there is nothing in the record uh, of, a, of a statement by an Alamance County commissioner or a public official supporting white supremacy. The plaintiffs have their view of it. The Alamance County commissioners have a different view. There is nothing in the statute that says a Confederate monument is a depiction of white supremacy. There are three statutes in Chapter 100, and none of them refer to white supremacy. Some people have a different view than the plaintiffs, which might come as a shock to some people. Uh, but some people view the monument as honoring their ancestors or honoring war dead. After all, that is what the monument is. It is a monument to honor war dead, people who fought and died in a war, some of whom may not have agreed with it but who none, nonetheless fought. The monument says nothing about white supremacy. Now, the monument law was placed right near two other statutes that refer to Confederate monuments. Well, Your Honor, those two exceptions do not apply. So, uh, yes, Your Honor, the, the, the framers of the statute uh, envisioned some situations where the county could perm or whichever, whichever local government owned the monument could permanently relocate it to an ob a place of. No, it, it does not. I'm sorry if I mis misspoke, Your Honor. Um, so the, the, the statute in question is right next to two other statutes. One of them allows the county to spend money to put 
iron fences around Confederate monuments, specifically Confederate monuments, and the other allows counties to pay to build them. The county could put one up now, or any county could. Uh, if one looks at these three statutes in succession, it is clear what the legislature intended. One prevents removal. One allows the counties to protect them with Confederate, or, con protect Confederate monuments with iron fences. And the third allows counties to pay to erect them. Are these other two statutes also unconstitutional? The plaintiffs do not argue that. The legislature did not want local governments removing Confederate monuments. One can argue whether that is wise policy, but unless the law is forbidden, our case law holds that the courts must defer to legislative pronouncements. Our courts do not have the authority to declare new law which suits our own policy preferences. This court in a concurrence said in NAACP versus Moore three years ago. This court has also said it is not the role of the judicial branch to preempt the legislative branch's policy considerations. Wisely, the citizens of our state have not granted judges with latitude to dictate public policy. That was in the Noose River Foundation case in 2002. Now, I want to address the plaintiff's argument that somehow this monument is unconstitutional as applied because they can see that it was not unconstitutional when written. So what is it that this monument, what is it that makes this monument unconstitutional in this particular place? That argument is uh, that it is unconstitutional in Alamance County is flawed because how can one Confederate monument in one place be unconstitutional and Confederate monuments in every other county be lawful? What makes Alamance County's monument any different? There their other argument may just be that Confederate monuments are unconstitutional, period, although I believe I heard the plaintiff's attorney say in opening argument that that is not the argument that they are making. So the plaintiff's claim that this case should be remanded for trial because a statute cannot excuse constitutional violations. Yes, yes, but Alamance County has not done anything, Your Honor, one way or another since the law was enacted in July 2015 except follow the law and leave the monument in place. The plaintiffs make several arguments under the Arlington Heights case about why the monument is unconstitutional. They claim that there are disputes of fact about the equal protection claim and that the monument disproportionately affects some citizens. But if this is true, then every other Confederate monument in the state also must have the same issues. And that means that the law as applied to Confederate monuments must be unconstitutional. Yet the plaintiffs can see that the law is constitutional on its face. Just because one is offended by something does not make it unconstitutional. And the court said that in Guy v. Hunt in the 11th Circuit case in 1990 regarding the following, the flying of the Confederate flag over the Alabama Capitol. The plaintiffs point to their experts' opinions that the county's maintenance of the monument negatively affects some citizens. But first of all, opinions are irrelevant when questions of law are involved. The court said so in Williams v. Sapp in 1986. But even if that were true, it would be true of every Confederate monument at every courthouse in North Carolina. But the legislature enacted a law that applied to every monument in front of a courthouse in the state, and the plaintiffs admit that that law is constitutional. If experts' opinions could overrule the law, there would not be stability under the law because each expert's opinion would supersede the next until it was not clear which laws were constitutional and which were not. Now, the plaintiffs point to the history of the monument to show discriminatory intent. They claim that the history of the monument is evidence of discriminatory intent. But if that is true, it must also be true of every Confederate monument in the state. They point to a single crime 153 years ago and comments made by private citizens at the monument 109 years ago. But the commissioner's adherence to the law has nothing to do with whatever private citizens said or did 109 or 153 years ago. They are not responsible for what those prior uh, people in Alamance County did any more than they are responsible or we are responsible for what our grandparents said or did. Besides, the monument means different things to different people. We also do not know what everyone at the monument's dedication in 1914 thought. There is no evidence that the Board of Commissioners now believes that the monument stands for white supremacy. What about the 
Well, there is evidence of that, Your Honor. The commissioners have a different opinion than the plaintiffs, which is conveniently ignored. Some of their ancestors served in the Civil War. And let's, we talked about, yes, Your Honor. One can make several statements, of, we talked about the American flag. One can make st several statements about World War II memorials. World War II was the good war. The United States firebombed Japanese and German cities, dropped two atomic bombs on Japan, unlawfully interred Japanese citizens. Given all that, does a World War II memorial become tainted because of the offense that it might give to citizens of Japanese or German descent? Different, different things have different meanings. Um, Your Honor also mentioned the Bladenburg, Bladenburg Cross case. That is a Christian cross that was put up in uh, after World War I in 1919, I believe. A government could not do that today. That would be seen as an endorsement of religion. But monuments' meanings change over time, and that was the central holding of that case. In this case, a Confederate monument, however some wanted it to be in 1914, doesn't mean the same thing to people today that it might have meant to some people back then. So that itself is not evidence of racial discrimination or intent. Now, the plaintiffs also point to another factor under the Arlington Heights case, and that is the so-called uh, sequence of events and ordinary process that were deviated from by Alamance County. But this, this is a mischaracterization of the facts. Um, there was no irregular process. There was no departure from ordinary process or un, uh, strange or irregular sequence of events in the maintenance of the monument. They claim, the plaintiffs do, that the commissioners in June 2015 sought reasons to justify not removing the monument, as if that is a bad thing, by the way. They're, the underlying tenet of that is, or implication, is that they're, they're not allowed to have that opinion that they can keep the monument in place. But whatever the county did in June 2015 became irrelevant in Ju July 2015, a month later, when the legislature enacted that law. That tied the county's hands. The sequence of events was this. The commissioners looked at the issue in June 2015, and the monument law was enacted a month later. This monument controversy has been going on for eight years and five months. For eight years and four months of that time, that monument law has been in place, tying the county's hands. It prevents removal. It's been on the books and tied the county's hands for almost the entire time that this controversy has been going on. The plaintiffs also point under the Arlington Heights factors to the county's reliance on state law. Well, the county, if the county erroneously believed that it could remove the monument and still decided not to move it, the county's belief is irrelevant. The law does not change, it is still the law, and for the county to think it could move it, it would be wrong if it assumed it had the choice to do something. The plaintiffs claim that the June 2015 memorandum from the county attorney was delivered before enactment of the law, and that is true. But that memorandum became irrelevant the day the law was enacted, a month later. Any discretionary authority that the county had evaporated as soon as that law was enacted. The plaintiffs claim that the, the memorandum was not intended to be legal advice, but a state law is more than legal advice, it is a legal command county must follow it. The county attorney also informed the commissioners in September 2020 that state law prevented removal, except in limited circumstances that do not apply here. The plaintiffs next talk about count the county's discussions about removing the monument. They claim that after the law was enacted, the county engaged in discussions about moving the monument without mentioning the monument law but this is a mischaracterization of the facts. However, even if it were true, again, the law is the law. It is irrelevant because the law prevents removal. Even if a party is under a misapprehension of the law, the law remains the law. So this argument does not hold water. Now the plaintiffs next argue that the county is misusing taxpayer money to, per to perpetuate the monument's standing. Right there in chapter 100 of the monument, uh, or next to the monument law, is a statute that is entitled, County Commissioners May Protect Monuments. 
It's section 100-9. It specifically refers to any monument to Confederate dead. It allows the county to put iron fences around Confederate monuments to protect them. The reason the county was spending money to protect the monument is because people were protesting at it, either because they wanted it torn down or they wanted it preserved. But the wisdom of how to spend county money is for the board of commissioners, not the plaintiffs. The monument is county property, and the county is authorized by statute to protect it. In fact, that is its job. The board of commissioners cannot delegate that duty about how to spend money to the plaintiffs, who are not elected by the residents of the county. Is the federal government misusing taxpayer money to protect the capital from an attack like September 11, 2001, or an incident like January 6, 2021? No, that is the government's job. The plaintiffs next talk about the commissioner's opinions about the monument. They claim that the commissioner said they would never vote to remove the monument after the law was passed. That is true, and that would be their position if the monument law allowed removal. But it does not. Even if the board agreed with the plaintiffs, the county could still not remove the monument. The plaintiffs seem to say that the commissioners are wrong unless they agree with the plaintiffs. The plaintiffs are entitled to their opinion, but the legislature thinks differently or it would not have enacted the monument law. Is the county board not allowed to have the same opinion about the issue as the legislature? The commissioners were elected, by the way, and that is representative democracy. The plaintiffs next talk about the open courts provision of the Constitution. They claim that the county is violating the open courts provision, but there is no evidence in the record that the courts are not open to anyone. The NAACP filed this lawsuit and it was heard. The plaintiffs claim that survey evidence shows in, that a county's defense of a Confederate monument in front of a courthouse conveys to black residents that they will be less safe at the courthouse and are less likely to receive from the judicial system fair treatment. But that assertion, even if it were true, would apply to every Confederate monument in front of every courthouse in North Carolina. It has to apply to every other monument. If that is the case, the legislature passed an unconstitutional law. Not, it's not unconstitutional as applied, it's unconstitutional on its face. Yes, but the legislature knew it was protecting Confederate monuments when it passed that law, Your Honor even if the law doesn't specifically refer to Confederate monuments. It's broad, it covers all other monuments. But remember, so the plaintiffs, the plaintiffs said earlier, yes, Your Honor, the plaintiffs said earlier that they're not challenging every Confederate monument in front of every courthouse in the state. But that argument doesn't make sense because if the legislature passed a law knowing that Confederate monuments were in front of courthouses, knowing the history of this state, then it was, and knowing that this statute was designed to pr protect Confederate monuments, it passed an unconstitutional law. So, the plaintiff... So would, it, would, the, would the statute need the word Confederate in it then to make it a facially unconstitutional statute? So, Your Honor, the legislature knew what it was doing when it passed that law. It passed the law in the summer of 2015 when Confederate monuments were being removed. It put the law right next to two other statutes that specifically refer to Confederate monuments in front of courthouses. So even if the word Confederate is not in that, in that law, that law was designed to protect Confederate monuments. Among other things, it also protects monuments to Christopher Columbus, for example, who may not be popular with some people these days. Uh, it would protect monuments to the Vietnam War, 
which also was not popular uh, back uh, when the war was going on. But the plaintiffs claim that the evidence is undisputed, that the Confederate monument made, sends the message of white supremacy, but not everyone agrees with the plaintiffs about that. If the plaintiff's statement were true and the legislature knew that it was passing a law that con protected Confederate monuments, then the legislature enacted a law in support of white supremacy. Even the plaintiffs do not argue that. The commissioner's comments, by the way, uh, which are irrelevant when the law prevents removal, just show that they view the monument differently than the plaintiffs. They view it as a way to honor war dead, including ancestors. The law does not prohibit them from having that opinion, however unpopular it may be with some. One does not have to agree with their opinion, but public officials are allowed to have different opinions. Just because they disagree with the plaintiffs does not make their actions unconstitutional. In sum, these arguments about constitutionally just do not stand up to scrutiny. Now, in conclusion, Your Honors, there are several other issues to briefly address. First, the plaintiffs want this case remanded for trial. But if the court remanded the case, what would that do? The plaintiffs would just present the evidence they have already presented in the record. The court considered that evidence but concluded that it did not matter because the monument law prevents removal. By the way, what evidence is there that people object to the monument being in front of the courthouse? We already know that. All a trial would do would establish things that we already know because they're already in the record. The court was aware of these things below. This court can consider all that and, and everything in the record but again, it does not matter because the law prevents removal and the law is constitutional. There are no genuine issues of material fact, therefore. There are just differences of opinion among people on a policy issue that the monument law addresses specifically. The monument law prevents removal. Now, the plaintiffs also talked about the Rule 12, Rule, Rule 12 motion precluding the Rule 56 motion. This is such a fundamental issue of law that it's taught in your first year of law school, your first semester. If you answered that question the way the plaintiffs answered it in their brief on a bar exam question, you would fail that question. Rule 12 is different than Rule 56. There are reasons why there are two rules. Rule 12 just says the plaintiffs have a chance to make their case. Rule 56 says after you've been given the chance to make your case with the evidence, you have no case because we've determined <clears throat> that the evidence does not rise to the issue of a triable fact. And in this case, when the law is clear, there's no issue of a triable fact. So the remedy with this claim that the plaintiffs have brought is really with the legislature, as Judge Zachary said earlier. In the NAACP versus Hunt case, the 11th Circuit said that when certain people have uh, unfortunate when certain uh, people have uh, grievances with what the court called the unfortunate decision of Alabama, in that case to fly the Confederate flag over the Alabama, Alabama Capitol, the, the remedy lies with the democratic process and the voting rights of all its citizens. In other words, if you do not like the law, change it or vote in elected officials who will. In conclusion, your honors, the monument law clearly applies and it is not unconstitutional. The plaintiffs seek relief that this court and the county cannot grant. The trial court's decision should therefore be affirmed. Thank you, Your Honors. And as I said, I gave you back three minutes. I appreciate so it, Your Honor. From you, so. uh, may I proceed? Yes. So, Judge Dillon, in response to uh, a couple of your questions, which I think tee up very much the issue here, I want to be very clear. We aren't contending that all Confederate memorials are unconstitutional. We aren't even contending that all Confederate memorials in front of courthouses are unconstitutional. We are only challenging this one particular one based on the very specific facts and proof that we submitted in the summary judgment record, none of which was controverted. Counsel for the county asked, what makes this one different? That is the proof that we submitted uh, regarding the specific history, which the county admits is relevant. They discuss it themselves in their brief. 
of the location where it was cited, on the location very near to the lynching of a prominent black citizen, dedicated by two avowed white supremacists, specifically in terms saying that this monument commemorates the great achievements of our own race and blood. So let now, me, and I'm sorry, to, but isn't it pretty likely that every one of these statues was probably a dedication ceremony where there might have been similar things said and we might have records from some of them and we may not have records from others? So we don't know the answer to that. It's, you know, they could have put in evidence if they thought it was germane. Mm -hmm. Certainly the plaque that Judge Dillon referenced in front of the criminal courthouse, which is in the midst of other plaques uh, commemorating war dead from other conflicts. There's no reason to think there'd be similar evidence as to that one. That North Carolina has 100 counties in it, and each of these are going to be, they're going to raise very different facts. Um, that's what discovery and trials are for, are to hash out the facts, um, which is why when we were faced with the summary judgment motion, we put it all out there. We, we forecast all of our evidence, and it wasn't simply anyone is offended by a Confederate memorial. That's never been the case. That's never been the issue. It was this particular one, the way it was dedicated, the process that the county went through in determining it was going to maintain and preserve it. Um, that is enough, particularly where not challenged or controverted. Now, I, I heard uh, my brother say that he thought that they did come put in some controverting evidence in response to Judge Dillon to one of your questions. I mean, they didn't cite anything, and they certainly haven't pointed anything in their briefing. He didn't cite anything today. But even if he had, well, that would at the very most create a dispute of fact for the trier of fact to determine whether that sufficiently uh, rebuts our showing that based on the history and the, the awareness of what this particular monument stands for, that it's in fact a monument to white supremacy. If the trier of fact finds that their evidence is more persuasive than ours and can explain that in a way that withstands um, the, this court's review, then that will be the resolution. But he's not entitled to stand up here today and demand that this court accept his citation of evidence over our citation of evidence. That's not how summary judgment works. His evidence, whatever it is, has to be viewed skeptically, as though the uh, finder of fact is entitled to disbelieve their witnesses, whereas ours has to be viewed indulgently under the Marcus Brothers case and many others. That's how summary judgment works. They have to show the lack of a tribal issue of fact, and they haven't done that. Um, on the Rule 12, Rule 56, I mean, obviously we cite the Adkins case. Of course, summary judgment and a motion to dismiss can be different if the summary judgment movement relies on factual development. But in this circumstance, the county made exactly the same arguments made on the monuments law. If one compares the arguments that they made to Judge Forrest Bridges at a summary judgment to the arguments they made at the motion to dismiss, these are pages 125 to 28 of the record on appeal, and then 225 to 28 of the record of, on appeal, they are exactly the same legal arguments. They even describe this as an error of law, not something where somehow more facts had been developed that would have justified uh, a different ruling from the one Judge Kevin Bridges did at the motion to dismiss stage. Um, I would say for purposes of the remedy, because I think the invocation of the monuments law really has to do with the remedy of removal. And I appreciate the court makes the Elmo available. And Judge Dillon, I know you can't see it, but I will, uh, I'll read it out loud. This is the um, prayer for relief in our complaint. It's page 62 of the record on appeal, paragraph 94. Relief requested. Plaintiffs respectfully request that the court enter judgment in their favor and against defendants and enter an order declaring that the monument violates one or more provisions of the North Carolina Constitution. Nothing in the monuments law prevents the Superior Court from entering that declaration, at the very least. Even if there were to be a conclusion that the Monuments Law prohibits removal, now we don't think there could be such a conclusion, we have submitted uh, tribal issues of fact on that point, that's an issue for remand. But even if we were to lose on that at trial, at the very least we would be entitled to a declaration of unconstitutionality. The county has never argued otherwise. That is reason enough. With respect to the misuse of funds, just very briefly, again, this is an issue where this is a separate claim, of course. Uh, a representative from a local economic development group, Mr. Jason Cox from Alam Engage Alamance, explained, and again, this wasn't controverted, that the county's actions have created a hyper-focus in a negative context on Alamance County. It's caused outside investors to pause any consideration of investment in this place because of actual and threats of violence in Alamance County because of this monument. 
the U.S. Capitol is not subject to evidence like that. This is at the very least enough for don't, a trial. Excuse they me, have, don't, don't counties do that a lot, though? Like with a, or, or, or aren't counties accused of doing that a lot? Like say, for example, with a controversial zoning decision or um, a controversial school board issue. They say, well, you're hurting, you're hurting the county economically. Doesn't that come up a lot, not just in this type case? Uh, it, it, if it comes up, if a claim is validly stated, then it will be litigated. And presumably in a situation like that, the county will put in evidence saying our zoning decision or our districting decision or whatever serves the county's public purpose in this way. There is no evidence of that at the summary judgment stage. Maybe they can put in evidence at the trial stage showing how a monument that venerates white supremacy is not for the benefit of a small group of people, but is actually for the benefit of the public. I, I welcome their trying to make that proof, but they haven't made it now. It's not in front of this court. It wasn't in front of the Superior Court. It's not a valid basis for summary judgment. Finally, on the open courts claim, if I may, uh, the accusation seems to be that as long as you can walk into the courthouse, then there's no open courts violation. Simeon versus Harden is direct proof contrary to that. Mr. Simeon could walk into the courthouse. That's not the problem. The problem was that there was a practice in that district that the district attorney could schedule hearings in a way that disadvantaged criminal defendants. And that was enough to state a claim under the open courts clause. That's exactly the same allegation that we've made here, that the presence of this monument outside the civic heart of Alamance County uh, disadvantages uh, black citizens seeking to do business in the courthouse by activating conscious and unconscious bias. Once again, there was nothing on the other side to counter that. So we would respectfully submit that this court should find that the county is subject to suit, there is no immunity here, and that we have submitted uh, sufficient, more than sufficient evidence for a tribal issue of fact on our constitutional claims, reverse the grant of summary judgment, and remand the case for trial. Unless the court has further questions, I thank the court for its attention this morning. Thank you very much for your arguments, and we will adjourn.